We've all experienced times when we're hungry and cranky and have a hard time focusing. But surprisingly, it doesn't have to be that way. It can do the exact opposite. When you deliberately bring on hunger through fasting, your attention and cognition are supercharged. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about our new masterclass. Now, if you think working better means longer hours, just trying harder, or sacrificing relationships, then think again. In this four-week masterclass, now available on OptimWork.com, Dr. Kevin Majors will guide you through the key ideas and the practice that will help you transform your approach to work. Now, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Sharif, thanks for having me back. Of course. Well, Kevin, back in my weightlifting days, people would often be completely focused on what they were doing in the gym, like lifting the weights. And a kind of secret among the elite was that actually muscle is built in the kitchen by what you eat. So mm-hmm. I had a thought that maybe there's a similar thing going on with, with work. Um, so I'd love to hear from you about what is the best diet for optimal work. Great question, Sharif. I know that we get asked this question in different ways by different users. I think everyone is looking for some kind of special superfood that will give them the ability to focus and, or somehow help make it easier to work. I think that um, there is just not any conclusive data about foods impacting attention. Now, I think, except to say that a really sugary diet seems bad for attention. But as long as you're not going overboard with carbs, uh, what you eat, you know, doesn't seem to have as big a difference compared to when you eat. And I think that the best diet, you could say, uh, is not a diet at all, is simply fasting. So what's called intermittent fasting is probably the best way to boost your cognitive abilities and your, your, the ability to focus and engage work. So I think that, in fact, it's fasting that makes people more intelligent, more capable of engaging work. And all gets them toned and ready for challenge. So what you're saying is that while muscles are built in the kitchen, focus is developed by avoiding the kitchen. Uh, (laughs) I think that certainly people get distracted by food, don't they? uh And and so people will be snacking or they'll always feel like they they want to be eating. Uh, And our brains are built to work best when we're not eating. So in some ways, you know, the, what working, you know, and is a lot like hunting for prey and doing things you could talk about any mammal would do. So the at least the carnivores. So working and fasting go together, even for herbivores, you know, when they're, they're, it's like they're working for food in a sense, you know, they're having to travel places for it. They're, you know, working to get it. But uh, especially when you think of carnivores. So when you think of like a cheetah, if a, Cheetahs, if they're going to really, um, if they're going to catch their prey when they're hungry, fasting has to bring out the best in them. 
like if, if, if fasting made the cheetah slow and sluggish, that would be a problem. But in fact, food tends to make animals slower and sluggish as their brain is diverting, or their, their body as a whole is diverting blood flow to the organs of digestion rather than the brain. So you only have a limited amount of blood and energy and where it can be directed. And in when we're fasting, in fact, more of it does go to the brain. And so there's these, there are all these cognitive benefits you get while you're actually fasting that, that you wouldn't get immediately after a meal. So I think people all know that they can be very sluggish after a meal. Uh, but you, in fact, are faster and sharper when you're fasting, just like that cheetah or any other animal. Even squirrels. A squirrel that's hungry will remember where it buried the nuts better. And there is actually research that that uh, when animals are hungry, their episodic memory is enhanced. And this is true, seems true for humans as well. So your ability to remember things and working memory are improved actually when you're in the fasting state. It just makes us better at doing things. That's fascinating. So I don't know, I think we can get into some of the benefits of fasting, go a little bit deeper into those, but also just, so, you know, was thinking of why is it the case, I guess, that humans, now that we grow our food or uh, just have easier access to food, we develop the ability to now just have kind of a system of three meals a day. Does does everyone do that? Do all cultures do three meals a day? Well, I'm no expert on that. Uh, I yeah. think that we can say historically, by no means was three meals a day the norm. And so I'm not sure in today's world yeah. what exactly is done. And I think the idea of, of breakfast being the most important meal of the day uh, which seems to be about 100 years old is an idea. Uh, and it's hard to tell exactly where it came from. Um, it was the it cereal not, companies, right? Yeah, people say it was the orange juice companies trying to <laughs> get orange. people to, yeah, exactly, trying to, <laughs> the orange growers tried to get oranges sold. And I don't really know wow. what, the, what, the, what the actual story is there. But I do, it does seem that that has not held up. So that there, there have been, I remember the, um, the British Medical Journal had some, meta-analysis looking at, is there any particular magic to breakfast? And the answer is actually no. So it doesn't seem like having or not having it. But at any rate, I think the, um, there we know that like the Roman soldiers would only eat at night. So basically they had a four hour window, you know, where, where they would eat and they never ate in the daytime at all. And that just made them very mobile. So there's any movement going on or typically fighting, that that would, I would presume would be done more in the daytime. Whatever the reason, they just, so we know that the, the so the soldier diet was, you know, and that, so sometimes people call, if you are only eating in a four hour window, something like the soldier diet or the Roman mm -hmm. diet. Um, Thomas Aquinas, I remember reading something in his life, you know, he would eat only one meal a day. And so there are, there are definitely, I know of cases just that where I happen to see that people ate like that, but that's not something I've, I'm an, I'm an expert on. Sure. So maybe now we could get into a little bit of a kind of understanding of what all the benefits are. Um, now you mentioned a few. How exactly do those benefits come about? Uh, you gave kind of some of the uh, maybe evolutionary reasons why that uh, it's if you're uh, hungry that you're going to need food. So it wouldn't mm -hmm. seem reasonable that you would want to perform at a, at a higher level during the times when you're hungry. But how, do, how does that actually work in, in the body? Yeah, so I think that the important thing is um, what 
is to one to help people overcome ideas they might have where they see hunger itself as a threat like a, particularly a threat to focus and people can have the idea that they simply cannot work when they're hungry uh, or that they're going to be def- like somehow doomed to work in a worse way so what i like think, to think about with hunger is it is the perfect thing to practice reframing so when you talk about, I love physical ways, you could say, of reframing. So we talk about how anxiety is really just adrenaline with a negative spin on it. And when you welcome the adrenaline by reframing it, then it changes function, which is very true. And in fact, it goes from being something that you experience in your heart and hands and you know, trembling and sweating into something you experience as just enhanced focus and enthusiasm for the task at hand. So and be enhanced ability to perform. Okay, so that's adrenaline. Um, even cravings. I love reframing cravings. You know, uh, not this is not food cravings, but for other things, as a reward circuit on the verge of being degraded, and that's when you get the craving. Is when it needs reinforcement. Well, it's the exact same when it comes to hunger. What hunger really is, you can say, is our experience of a hormone called ghrelin. It can also be pronounced ghrelin, but but I'll call it so ghrelin is what people are having higher levels of when they're hungry. And they experience along with that, whether ghrelin is hunger or they just go together, it's not exactly clear, but they experience essentially, you could say, ghrelin as hunger. Ghrelin is a hormone that allows your body to thrive on the challenge of fasting. Okay, so what you experience as hunger is actually how your body thrives experiencing a stress hormone. But that stress hormone, it does a number of remarkable things. Number one, it enhances cognition. So it, it, enhancing of all these different forms of spatial and working memory are, in, are improved by ghrelin. So you, you can Google ghrelin and cognitive benefits and even see G-H-R-E-L-I-N is, is a funny spelling. The other thing is that Ghrelin stimulates growth hormone to be increased. So you get a substantial increase in growth hormone in your body, which helps then in all of these different metabolic processes. And it even helps people who are trying to increase their muscle mass to increase lean muscle mass. So I would say even for people who are weightlifting, that you can do weightlifting while fasting because you have the enhanced growth hormone. Another, um, so one thing is flipping your experience of hunger to say, this is just how my body, in fact, responds. It doesn't have to be um, just like a negative detractor. In fact, you think better when your ground levels are higher, just like you can think much better when your adrenaline levels are higher. And fasting increases this internal adrenaline as well. I think when your body is first getting used to it, People can experience that as being more emotional or irritable, but very quickly you, you develop the ability that that enhancement is just at the neural level of being able to think better. So we can talk about that, you know, what are potential pitfalls of fasting? You know, and yeah. so there is an onboarding process that you go through to where you're able to do it. But just to say, once you get through that, you really just get enhanced like the effect of adrenaline inside your cortex to help you to think faster and, and better. Mm-hmm. And, and so ghrelin does that and adrenaline does that. 
and they're both increased by fasting. Um, another huge benefit uh, is the, um, well, I should say, those are the, the, the prime cognitive benefits. You also have an increase in dopamine and a number of other neurotransmitters that help you. And you have uh, an increase in GABA transmission in the brain. So that has to do with another chemical called ketones. Ketones are what you get when you break down fat. And the onboarding experience with intermittent fasting is all about upregulating your body's ability to quickly get energy from fat. So, and once what you're really doing is the body gets faster at liberating, you could say, ketones. Now, ketones can be burned by almost every cell in your body as an alternate to glucose. So your body can run on ketones or it can run on glucose. And there are just a few exceptions to that. Um, and some organs like the heart and the brain seem to prefer ketones. Oh, they always need a little bit of carbohydrate-based. But um, the beautiful thing is when you break down triglyceride, which is what you store in, in the yellow fat, you get the perfect proportion of ketones with a little bit of carbs, the, the glucose-based stuff, uh, is perfect for the brain to run on. When you supply the brain with primarily then ketones, you get a change in all the neurotransmitters in the brain that allow for a more calm focus. So it's, you get enhanced GABA transmission and decreased glutamate transmission. But that people experience that, in fact, as a reduction in threat mode. You just feel calmer and more at peace, and you're more able then to engage unitasking. So you know, you'll get ghrelin, you'll get adrenaline, you'll look at ketones. There are all these incre incredible enhancements. And I'm just talking about cognitive benefits. There are, of course, metabolic benefits that your body overcomes insulin insensitivity. So you become sensitive again to insulin. People, if they need to lose weight, they can lose weight. I see losing weight as an unattended consequence of intermittent fasting. For me, the, the whole idea of it is it's performance enhancing. And then secondarily, if people's bodies need less weight, they get less weight. Well, I hope at this point people are all sold on the idea, uh, given that long list of benefits you mentioned. Uh, so maybe now it's good to get into how to actually do it. Uh, so I, you know, there are probably many different methods that you can find from Googling it online. So what are the, what, what's the kind of method that, that you prefer, Kevin? You know, I can tell you um, what I... <laughs> What I did is, you know, after reading the book, uh, uh, The Complete Guide to Fasting by Dr. Funk, uh, that and The Obesity Code, his two books, are must-reads for people who want to, like, learn more about this stuff. Uh, and after I read the book, I was so convinced about it that I just switched to doing one meal a day. And uh, later I learned that that's considered extreme. <laughs> so, But personally, I didn't really have any problems with it. And so I just went Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, um, you know, having one meal a day, just having dinner. Uh, and so I'd have a little bit of a snack before bedtime. Uh, and then that would, so I'd eat in essentially a three or four hour window. So that's, like so that's the minute. Roman diet. That's the Roman diet. Exactly. And I found it, it wasn't hard at all to make that transition. There were a few days where I just had to make more of an effort to stay hydrated. 
Uh, and I found this thing called Ultima Replenisher, uh, which has is perfectly compatible with fasting, but it's just electrolytes. And I found that it made me feel great in the afternoon if I had some of that. And I would have like coffee or green tea with nothing, no milk added or sugar, of course. Um, and so you can have coffee, you can have tea. All you do is you don't have breakfast or lunch and then you eat, you eat at dinner. But since then I've learned that for most people, the more gradual approach is you start by delaying breakfast. And then, so if you, let's say you finish eating at 7 PM the night before, then you would try to not have breakfast until something like, you might start with 9 AM. That'd be a 14 hour window of no eating. And then you get to 11 a.m., a 16-hour window of no eating. Uh, and then you keep extending it. But most people who do that kind of time-limited do it on a daily basis. It just becomes your new pattern of eating. Uh, and so, but and then eventually you just don't have breakfast, you just have lunch. And eventually you don't have lunch, you just have the, the dinner. So that's like there is a gradual way of doing it. Now... I personally find it that hard just to go to the 20-hour fast or 21-hour fast. But if people do find it hard, usually what happens is they feel an upset stomach. So they feel a little nauseous. If you feel nauseous, you should probably just eat. So you don't have to, you, you eat and you, uh, and then keep really well hydrated. Especially in the beginning, that seems to be the case. Um, I think with time though, and it's, it's after three weeks or four weeks, your body then is, is really used to mobilizing energy from fat. And that's when you feel the, the big increase in stamina. You know, and then you feel more awake at the end of the afternoon. Uh, if I were to do some kind of meditation after work, you know, I found that with fasting, it was hugely helped. Uh, that, but probably it did take a, little, a couple of weeks at least before I noticed that real benefit there, but just much less sleepy in, in that afternoon. Uh, I think that gives a kind of clear, clear roadmap. It's also good that you pointed out the, that I guess because you normally have water with meals or fluids with meals, that if you're not mm -hmm. having the meals, then you need to replenish those throughout the day. Are there any other kind of uh, I don't know, safety points or, or just points that you would give people of uh, kind of tips to um, keep everything working during that time or during that tr transition? Or are there people who shouldn't think about fasting? Yeah, I would say if people have any serious medical problems, you know, they should discuss with their doctor before doing any kind of change. So, and so they're going to start fasting, especially if people, and this is the people who have to be super careful. If you have diabetes and you're on something that lowers your blood sugar, like insulin or the other medicines that are used uh, to treat type two, especially diabetes, um, with then you have to be very careful, you know, because in general, people who fast do not have problematic low blood sugar. So, and Dr. Fung says that the only people who do have problems with low blood sugar when fasting are people taking drugs meant to lower blood sugar levels. Because, but the how people time those drugs and the dosage was based on a different pattern of eating. You can't just translate that. You, you can't just do the same you know, insulin pattern or other drugs. Right. So if you're taking anything that lowers blood sugar, you have to talk with the doctor before contemplating this. That said, intermittent fasting is probably the best treatment for diabetes, you know, and, and the things that 
those doctors are working on. So I would hope that their doctor is already talking to them. Uh, the It's been kind of slow for intermittent fasting to get fully accepted, uh, but it was, uh, I think, three years ago that the Harvard Health Letter, which had been opposed to fasting before that, flipped completely and, and, and became and said, now we have to admit there's so much evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is not a dangerous practice. And then uh, in 2019, the New England Journal of Medicine came out with a review article of all the studies on intermittent fasting, and it was glowing praise. So I think that the days when intermittent fasting was seen as a dangerous fringe exercise, yeah, I think those are totally gone. But if you have health concerns or any concerns at all about doing it, first just talk to the doctor and, and make, make sure there's no problem. People who are, uh, women who are pregnant and nursing uh, shouldn't fast. Uh, so that, that seems to be a consistent recommendation so far. Um, I don't know what you do if you have gestational diabetes and how that you should, don't listen to what I'm saying here about how to manage your health if you're pregnant and have gestational diabetes, just talk to the doctor. Um, Kids, kids under the age of 18, maybe even, you know, we could say 25 or something, you know, but, but younger people uh, probably shouldn't fast. Yeah. So maybe in your 20s, you can start doing it. What you don't want to see, especially if you're young and healthy, is a drop in weight. So it, uh, you don't, I think, again, weight loss from fasting is a side effect that has to be managed. You don't want too much of it. I have not, I've fasted now, you know, about five days a week for a couple of years uh, and I haven't lost any weight from it. And in the studies, that's actually seen as the best, but also my body didn't really need to, to, to lose weight. And so that's kind of what you want is your body gets really good at maintaining a certain ideal weight for itself. Yeah. And so if you're off of that a lot, fasting does gently bring it down, but you don't want it to be a steep decline. So be careful of doing it for weight loss. It's better just seen as performance enhancing. Uh, young people shouldn't do it. And then anyone with serious medical conditions or taking diabetes medicines has to talk to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh, eating disorders. If, you've been re- if people have a restrictive eating disorder, they should be talking with, if they're working with a psychiatrist or therapist or primary care doctor. Um, I, I think that fasting is different than what happens with anorexia. Because fasting is done deliberately for the sake of a benefit versus something that is done compulsively, you know, without a sense of freedom. When people fast, they actually feel liberated and free. So, and, and that's, it's a great experience. That's why it helps to meditate. But eating disorders, if there's a history of that, then I think you have to talk to the therapist first. Great. Well, Kevin, I, th- I mean, I think that's our, all our time for today. Do you have any final th- thoughts you want to leave us with? Only that the... How, how I think this relates to what we talk about in optimal work is reframing the experience of hunger to see that, it, in fact, it can be a great help cognitively. You know, and also getting used to this idea of learning curves, that fasting and your ability to do it well is a kind of virtuous cycle. So it builds up over time. So you can start gently, you know, and, and not everyone has to do it. I don't think it should be recommended for all. It's just, it's an available help, but it gets easier and easier over time. And then gradually people find that it gets also more helpful over time as time goes on. Uh, And then then there are lots of other health benefits. Essentially fasting has all the benefits of exercise in one way or another. 
it's just, and they, they're just, they work super well together. Um, so to say that, uh, and you can exercise, uh, on when you're fasting, that's a perfectly good thing to do. It increases your exercise tolerance. Just to say then it's just another aid. It's another help. It involves a lot of reframing and involves a lot of, uh, deliberation, uh, you know, uh, overcoming impulses to eat and it involves a great sense of embracing challenge. So in that sense, I think it relates super well to what we talk about in optimal work. Those are really interesting connections. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, Thank we you, will Sharif. be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.